0: Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 12. Glad you could join us. In today's discussion, we talk with Celeste Cuellar, who serves as Colby Academy's Dean of Students. Celeste is a specialist in assessing and accommodating families who have students of various learning abilities. If you've never spoken with Celeste, whether on the phone or in person, consider this a lively introduction to a person who just might help you more easily navigate the world of home education. Enjoy the show.
1: Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom, liturgical musician, podcast fanatic, heavy library user, and Colby parent ambassador. I have two lads and two lasses. The youngest is in fifth grade, the eldest is in tenth, and this is our fourth year homeschooling with Colby.
2: And I'm Hope, Bonnie's younger sister and a Colby alumna in a phase of life after being a student, but before becoming a parent. I studied communication theory and philosophy in college, then I went to law school. Now I'm an attorney, an avid home cook, and the fun aunt, Bonnie's Kids.
0: And I'm Jordan. I teach Greek and Latin and serve as the languages advisor for Colby Academy. I completed my graduate studies in Germany before returning to the States to educate my kids at home. A few goats, a handful of chickens, and even a couple guinea fowls later, we just may be on our way. So I'm
3: Celeste Cuellar, um, Dean of Students for Colby. I first went to work for Colby in 2006, Uh, back in the stone age, when we did everything by hand, uh, book orders, and people called over the phone, and we took their registration, if they didn't send in the paperwork for their registration. (laughs) I was there uh, about two years, and my parish decided to open a classical elementary school using Colby curriculum, and um, they asked me, if I would come and teach, and I I do love teaching, and I had been teaching prior to that, so I said yes, and I did that for three years, but I found that working at Colby had sort of spoiled me, because <laughs> there's incredible flexibility in Colby, and I love that, and so um, then I was asked to come back in 2013, and so now I've been here ever since, but um, I've taught Um, A lot of years of younger children, um, preschool, you know, four-year-olds, five-year-olds. I've also uh, taught every grade level, K through 12, and then on two different occasions at different schools, I was an adjunct professor uh, at some colleges where I taught things like um, psychology and cultural counseling and early childhood and all of those sorts of things. So, but honestly, I've gotten an incredible education at Colby, because when parents call and they have an issue, and I'm thinking, I don't know, never heard that. I let me, you know, and then of course I'm busy on the computer while they're talking to me, and I'm, I'm trying to find some things out, and and uh, and I add to my list of resources because parents share information with me. I think that's one of the things I love the most is that this is something that's been very um, organic in its growth. You know, I started out with a couple little documents and then uh, people shared websites with me and they shared information and handouts. And so now I feel like we do actually have a pretty good um, bank of information for parents. So you have a
1: counseling background as well
3: as an education background. Sounds like you combined them. Right. I I got out of college as a history major, English minor, <laughs> thought, oh, what am I going to do now? So um, God works in mysterious ways. I, I actually got my very first preschool teaching job and I really liked it. Uh, Montessori. And then I did some other things for a couple years and decided I I really, my choices were to go to school, get my teaching certificate, or go to school and get my master's in counseling. They were both going to take, you know, approximately the same amount of time. So I got my MA in counseling. Um, I focused not on counseling with children because I was still working part-time with kids uh, while I was in grad school. I focused on career counseling. And so then that worked out really well. (laughs) Very fortuitous when I came to Colby. And uh, one of the things that I was told early on by a woman I worked with at a Montessori school was that a quote she loved from Maria Montessori was, the preparation for life is indirect. And that has been definitely the story of my life. I feel like everything I have done um, has helped me with my role at Colby, and none of it was really particularly well thought out. It just just came together. Um, But then I went back, and I did get my teaching certificate, too, um, because when I was at my parish, that was a requirement, so I picked that up as well. Celeste, it's good to
1: have you here today. We've been looking forward to talking with you about um, special needs and accommodating them or working with them. Um, the homeschool setting provides many opportunities to um, really work with whatever needs a, a child presents your, I go to on all kinds of skills questions. <laughs> so um, thank you for coming. Are there some top questions that you get as, as the advisor who often addresses
3: special needs concerns that parents have? Right. Yeah. The biggest question, I guess, I'm asked by parents who are homeschooling is what kinds of um, modifications they can make to the curriculum. And that even comes up from parents whose kids don't have any diagnosed special needs. And Colby is very clear on all of their course plans to say that uh, any modifications the parent wants to make can be made as long as they're not seeking a uh, honors designation or that K for the Colby Corps designation. So they, ca- they are encouraged to do that. But typically, if they're fairly new homeschoolers or maybe they're new to having high school homeschoolers, then they want some guidance. Okay, I can modify anything I need. What does that mean? Well, it means whatever you want it to mean, um, but usually they're looking for some specific guidance. Can they eliminate uh, the essay portion of an exam and, uh, and instead have an exam that a student wrote at a previous time? Sure, that's perfectly fine. Um, one thing that we discourage as a modification in high school is that parents do not allow oral responses to work um, f- to um, on quizzes and things or exams unless the parent is scribing, which, of course, is perfectly fine. So um, that's that's not a modification that we're concerned about at all. It is a good one to document because when those kids go to take any kind of a college entrance exam, um, we do want to have something that shows that, hey, uh, uh, my student has a scribe. And then that's something that can usually be granted by the college board or the ACT people. How would that look documenting
1: that you're scribing for your student?
3: We have a very simple form called, a. uh, it used to be more complicated, I think I've gotten it down to about one page now, (laughs) Uh, Student um, Education and Accommodation Plan. It's not a legal document in the same way that an IEP is a legal document. Colby is not a public school. It does not receive any public funds. Therefore, we are not obligated to follow the uh, um, plans that are laid out in an IEP. But a parent can create a student education and accommodation plan, and I'm speaking specifically for homeschooling parents, K through 12 where they determine what kinds of accommodations or modifications they would want to make for their student and accommodations are more about the physical setting um, you know I, I have adD so I'm when I'm on the phone with people and they can't see me I'm constantly rocking when I was teaching online my students all knew I'm like This is how I function. So those kinds of things. Modifications, of course, are changes to the actual content. And in that case, we do like parents to document for us what they're doing for the accommodations, because again, it might come in handy later. Um, Modifications is more at the parent's discretion per the principle of subsidiarity they can make those calls. They usually will call and talk to an advisor just to get some input. So they fill out the this very basic little form, and even if the um, learning issue is not uh, professionally diagnosed, that's fine. We take parent diagnosis on that, not a problem. So the parent can say, you know, I've never had my child tested, but I'm pretty sure they're dyslexic. Okay. That's, again, you know, we, we don't receive public monies, so we can accept that. And, uh, and parents are very, um, they're really aware of their children. And so they see those things that, uh, you know, professional might not, might not see. Do you find that families new to homeschooling make discoveries
1: or just learn more about their students and how they learn? With the recent big jump to during pandemic emergency homeschooling, Mm -hmm. things probably became very evident very quickly if they were not already. Do you find,
3: have you found that to be the case or? I would say the majority of parents do know, but it also comes up with great regularity that something might be pointed out to a parent, usually in the course of a phone call with them. We're discussing something. They start telling me some of the things they're noticing. And, um, well, I always make it clear that I'm not a diagnostician. Um, that's that's not my role. I have heard things often enough that I can say, let me send you some things. I've pulled, um, for instance, from Susan Barton, who created the whole Barton System her site is called Bright Horizons. And so she has a whole page of uh, warning signs that it might be dyslexia. So I will send things like that out to parents. And then they do frequently come back and say, oh, that that sounds like my child, um, or, you know, executive functioning, which is something that when I was in grad school, I I don't think I ever heard of executive functioning, but it's certainly been around now. Um, oh, at least at least ten years, probably longer than that. That I've been hearing that and seeing students who are diagnosed with executive functioning issues. So. Um, a lot of, yeah, so a lot of parents come in, they do now, they know their child very well, they're really aware of what's going on, and then some parents come in, and they're aware that something is going on, but they don't have a name for it. And, um, sometimes it's just talking it over, they decide to go take their child to the pediatrician and get a diagnosis, um, sometimes it's enough. They they read some of the materials I share and they think that's it. <laughs> that sounds exactly like my child.
0: Hey Celeste, um, I wanted to I wanted to talk a little bit about. Um, well, I I've been getting emails today, in fact, at the college that I work for about various students who need extra time. They're, they need to be given fifty percent more time mm-hmm. uh, to complete things. How broad is this the scope of things that can be classified as you know a special needs or a learning disadvantage?
3: Um, it is incredibly broad. I, I speak to parents who really run the gamut. So it could be a um, birth defect. It could be a um, a lifelong medical condition. That the student has. Uh, it, it could be a psychological issue, you know, extreme anxiety or depression, um, as well as what we think of as learning and attention disorders. So we don't distinguish between all of those, but the, the medical situations are more rare um, and and they impact the student often in the same way because they miss class or they miss assignments due to their particular um, illness or condition. Uh, but, you know, there's no cognitive impairment. And then um, at, the, at the extreme end of the spectrum would be uh, a student who completes what we call the special diploma at Colby, a special diploma, and I've only seen this maybe twice, is for a student who um, truly is not capable of completing our standard diploma requirements, most likely um, due to, you know, a severe, um, um, condition from birth that does impact their cognitive ability. And so what they're in essence doing is they're getting a special diploma. It's essentially a certificate of completion, but it does give those students a sense of closure that they got a high school uh, diploma. And so we can do those kinds of things. But the students who have major health issues and who uh, miss class um, online classes who might miss I talked to a parent the other day who their student missed a whole year of school they were battling a terrible um, illness they just could not get under control so it it does have long-term effects we're very flexible about how we deal with all of that so if they need to take a year off in the middle of their high school, um, you know, we, we will, there can be a gap. I mean, it's one of those things. I, I do try to look on the bright side for that with students and say, hey, you know, when you need to write that college entrance exam, this is what you need to address because this is the biggest challenge that you've overcome in your life. And it's quite likely that most of your peers have not been through anything like this. So, you know, you you, kind of you have to emphasize that how it's made you a stronger person and a stronger student. But yes, when they miss when they miss the class, um, and it does happen with our students who take live online classes. Sometimes they have to withdraw. Sometimes they move to the self-paced version. Um, it it can have a real impact when they've got that kind of an ongoing situation. We do find that. Most students who are homeschooling the accommodations that they need, you know, it's just um, it's not an issue because they're at home. Um, But it might involve getting some equipment. You can buy these round wobble balls that you blow up and you sit on. They're not like the big yoga balls; those were very distracting. I found for students, but the small ones where they just can move when they're doing it. um, Things like that, and. Young boys in particular like those hand grips, the ones that build their bicep muscles up. So if they put it in their non-dominant hand, you know, when they're working, it's kind of fun for them to um, help them focus while they're doing that. But overall, you know, like I say, we we can make all kinds of accommodations or modifications to help them with things, and so. I think a lot of parents find that homeschooling is really a good fit for them. You know, they didn't think it would be, but um, but it very often is. I think one of the issues that a lot of parents face, if they've been in the public school setting and then they leave to homeschool, I think sometimes it's really difficult to get away from the idea that there is one right way to do things. And that that way is whatever the school was telling you was the right way, because in that setting, that was the key for your student success. They did have to do those things that way. Um, it's, it's one of the concerns about the school as the factory model, that um, it can't address the needs of, of all students Um you know, so it sort of hits that middle ground. But when you've got a kid, even if they need minor things, like when I was in the classroom, I had 12 students, second, third, and fourth grade. It was great, almost like homeschooling maybe. Um, but one one young man had really severe ADD. And so we tried three, four different kinds of accommodations. My uh, friend came in who was an occupational therapist and she she helped and we put, um, he used that gripper and we put him on a wobble ball and we gave him a, a little uh, big rubber band that goes across the front legs of the chair so he could constantly be hooking his feet in there. Um, all of which made a big difference. He was much more able to focus. The other kids, uh, some of them kind of identified that as being you know unfair treatment and so then we had to talk about how well it wasn't unfair treatment the goal was to level the playing field this kid needed these things to be at the level they were all at and so um, it it seemed like it was okay after that um, because my philosophy was if you needed you know, if you've got tall cupboards and you can't reach them and you need a stool, that's not cheating. <laughs> that's, that's just common sense. You need a stool. So that's how I look at it when parents um, need accommodations, want accommodations for their kids. It's like, well, we're not trying to give your student an unfair advantage. We're trying to give them the the opportunity to play like everybody else. Um, I, I know you all too young probably to remember Muggsy Bogues in the um, NBA, but, you know, the guy was five feet something, and he was a rock star, but that's unusual. (laughs) So, you know, we don't expect kids who need extra help to have to overcome all of those kinds of issues to that extent. We want to do what we can to assist them to reach the, you know, be on the same level as everybody else. How long do you find
2: that kids really focus just as a general sense? Like, where do you start looking at the line between like, oh, these are these are kids. They, they sit down for a little while and then they get up and play versus, oh, maybe we should look at this. They, they may have a learning disadvantage or what sort of things do you look for for that dividing line?
3: That's a really good question because... I've become quite cynical over the years (laughs) when I realized that the majority of behavior that's identified as attention deficit, obviously it's in boys, and um, you know, there's just a number of things about that. You look at um, who, who normally are elementary school teachers, they're women, right? And so, um, and I saw, I saw this in preschool teachers too, this idea that uh, the model child was the one who would sit quietly, you know, at three years old for 15 minutes and do circle time, which is crazy. <laughs> but more girls than boys can do that. Um, and then you kind of see it carried through. What I found is that when a child is experiencing distress, Because they can't focus when they want to, or they can't focus when they need to, when they know they need to, and it causes them a lot of distress um, socially or academically. That's usually when I say, okay, so there's something going on here beyond just you know, normal, who wants to sit at a desk? I'd rather be up doing something else all day too. Um, but even, even kids with ADHD, they can focus on things they're interested in. But if they can't uh, develop the skill set to make sure they can focus on, even on some things that they're, that they really don't care about, because, well, that's part of, our responsibilities in life, then that's when you know, there's a little problem, not a big advocate at all of medication. But I also understand there, there are definitely kids that need it. Uh, I'll never forget, (laughs) sitting in the desk next to Diane Muth, you know, one of the founders of Colby, listening to her on the phone, tell this parent, whose child had ADHD. Well, you need to give them a little bit of Coke in the morning, you know, soda before they start work. (laughs) I'm thinking, what? And then she gets off the phone and we're talking about it. And of course, I have to look everything up. And I'm like, she was 100% right. Caffeine is is, uh, the exact opposite effect on younger kids that it is on adults. And so I have used that advice now for years. I got my grandkids on coffee and tea, um, once they started to get close to middle school, because they just, a couple of them just couldn't, just couldn't. (laughs) So, um, and I, of course, it's true for myself, and we as adults, we know that, right? It, It heightens your focus. Um, but I think that for parents, if the child's just really, really struggling, even in a a favorite subject, um, it, when this, you know, when the child is really upset, uh, that's when it's time to get some input from a professional about that. And it, and it doesn't have to be medication. Um, it might just be some behavioral changes. But even if it is medication, it has to be medication with behavioral changes. You know, you can't just treat it with um, I mean, you can take allergy pills, but if you can eliminate the allergens is best, right? So it's the same kind of philosophy, I think.
2: Side note, but I've been drinking coffee since I was about 14 because I discovered it helps my asthma. And there's a growing uh, bit of research that says that it's kind of a bronchodilator that helps you breathe better. So that would make sense, too. If you're breathing better and getting more oxygen, that's going to support everything. Now I use it to justify too much coffee. but.
3: Well, now, now Hope, I'm going to add that tidbit to my reservoir of, you know, information for parents. Hey, you might want to check this out. Um, and that is what I try to do with parents is offer them information that they can pursue. I'm here to help the parents implement what they would like to do, to provide some information. Um, I mean, real honestly, I don't carry malpractice insurance anymore. I, I don't keep my license up as a therapist. That's not my role at Colby. I'm an advisor. This is my specialty area. Um, so I like to make sure that I'm giving them information and then letting them pursue it as much or as little as they wish instead of just telling them something.
0: So you're involved in in helping people recognize these things in in their children, and if it can help, mm-hmm. does it happen often that um, that you you they think there's a problem, but maybe there's not, and and you're able to help them and say, no, I, d- I don't think they actually have what you what you think they have no. or what you suspected. And the reason I'm thinking of that is because with my own kids, there were some things that I was surprised about um, when they were young one of them stuttered like a lot and we later on we came to realize that it was i think it was because she was in such a bilingual environment english at home and german with everybody else the other one it was something similar she was saying she couldn't she couldn't when we would watch a movie in english or if we were if we were talking with anyone else that wasn't part of our family she said that she would hear the she would hear the words that were just said but in like really slow in her brain again afterwards and couldn't catch up to what to to what had been said both of those things i didn't know i didn't recognize at the time that i think it was all due to the language situation because once we left germany the the problems have stopped, like they gradually went away. Um, I'm just wondering about maybe other situations. Does it, does that happen? Or do you feel more if a parent, if a parent has a question about it, it's, it's pretty likely that there is an issue that can be treated.
3: Well, that's fascinating about what you were telling me about your daughter. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Well, I mean, probably wasn't cool for her, but it's very interesting. Um, I would say most times, a lot of times when parents start telling me something and I bring up the idea that it, could it be XYZ, uh, a lot of times their response is, oh, you know, I have that, or my husband has that, or a sibling has that. So that I, um, comes through quite a bit. Not so much that... Not so much that a parent might bring something up. Um, well, no, that's not true. It it does happen. Parents bring up things they think are problems. Um, but most of the time, it's either not anything that's identifiable or it's a behavioral issue only and not... Um, it's it's a learned behavior, is what I want to say. So it could be it just a question of developing some new habits. Oftentimes, you know, that's the case, or uh, sort of eliminating possibilities of what it might be. So I do go through that sometimes with parents, um, asking you know a couple questions. Uh, oh, I think my I think my child has uh, dyslexia. Well, then, you know, asking about their writing or asking about some other things, and you, you find out, no, really, the child just doesn't like to read. It's not that they're not capable. Um, same thing with, you know, dysgraphia, writing and all of that. So, so it does come up that parents are concerned that there might be an issue about something, but most of the time, that is, that's not the case. You know, their concerns are, are based on things that they've observed from their child um and them and them being worried you know um worried parents might be its own category of um you know what's what's wrong with my child uh nothing they're with they're definitely within the range of you know normal behavior uh normal academics whatever but um They don't look like their sibling. They don't look like the parent looked at that age or the, you know, um, that comes up sort of frequently, I would say, Um, especially firstborn parents dealing with a firstborn child that does not reflect those, um, you know, pretty strong characteristics of that drive to succeed, that perfectionism, that type A personality, if you've got a a firstborn parent who has a firstborn child that is not like that, sometimes those parents think there might be something wrong. (laughs) And it's like, no, you just got a very relaxed firstborn for some reason. They don't fit the the mold, you know. Um, And it's usually helpful to clarify with parents, because I do ask parents that, Um, when they start describing things, I'll say, are you, are you the firstborn in your family? Uh, Is your, your spouse the firstborn in in their family? And that can be very revealing about what's going on. Um, You know, the, the parents uh, role in that because, you know, we, we bring to our teaching who we are, everything that we are. And so, um, you know, we we can't ever get away from that. And it can be more difficult, I think, to be candid with your own children than with strangers. Um, when I was a classroom teacher with my fourth graders, I, I was fairly candid with them about some of the things I knew about myself that might not make me a good fit for them as a teacher. Um, but, you know, I just assured them we'd We'd work our way through it. But I think parents get caught in thinking, you know, I'm the, I'm the parent and I'm the teacher and I have to be all things to all people. But that's not the case, you know. I mean, God is all things to all people, but we're not. And so sometimes it's a question of finding the curriculum that works best for the student and sometimes it's a question of finding the curriculum that works best for the parent. And sometimes they don't meet. And so then you have to compromise. Well, I guess you don't have to. You could do it one way or the other, but it's going to be fairly miserable. So if, you know, if you can compromise on some subjects and uh, make sure the student has some that are done the the way they like, uh, you know, I know when my daughter was younger. She She's kind of a more typical firstborn than I am. She likes things organized a certain way. She'd ask me questions. We weren't homeschooling, but she'd ask me questions about things. And um, I'd say, well, you know, we'll figure that out because I like to make it up as I go along. And that was hard for her. And so... Um, <laughs> You know, nine kids later, she's gotten a little more uh, into that mode herself. So <laughs> we're pretty much in sync. But um, but yeah, parents, they want to know. They want reassurance. They want to know their kids are okay. They want to know that um, what they're seeing or what they're describing to me is not uh, outside, you know, the the ordinary. And I get that. What's
2: so. that line in, in Ferris Bueller's Day Off about... You get a nervous mother and you wind up in the doctor's office and that's worse than school. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like Ferris Bueller syndrome a little bit.
3: Right. Yeah, we should coin that. We'll call it Ferris Bueller syndrome. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) One of the things I'm most grateful
1: for with homeschooling is this opportunity to identify these strengths and weaknesses and work on them. And without necessarily having to even label them whatever whatever they might be labeled elsewhere to receive the accommodations that they would in those settings. We don't necessarily have to do that. I mean, we can, we can learn lessons from all ways of addressing all these different learning challenges. Uh, I really like that term learning disadvantages, Mm -hmm. the ways of addressing those, we can incorporate those ideas into our own ways of doing things. Um, Do you find that accommodating the learning disadvantages on the online school side how is that going i i know you you have a mechanism for that and and what does that look like and how's that going
3: that's an an interesting scenario the first year that we offered online we we didn't um we didn't really offer generic accommodations nor did i mean we just didn't really think about it, I guess, kind of, you know, plunged forward and discovered immediately, of course, you know, there were kids that that needed some kind of accommodations. Um, typically, it's a, um, increased testing time, like you were talking about earlier, Jordan. So... Um, we don't offer a lot of accommodations. They're they're very minimal. Um, we do add to them occasionally, which we have done. We we now recognize that it's unreasonable to uh, count off for students who have dyslexia ab- about their spelling. I mean, it seems common sense, but we kind of missed that at first until you know a parent brought it up, and I thought, great idea. Yes, we should do that. Um, so. It's one of the one of my dreams at Colby would be to offer a small class, ten to twelve students who all had some kind of learning issue, and um, to be able to teach them in that special environment so that we could then accommodate a lot of things you know, with a small group like that. But because our classes are 22 students, and because it involves multiple teachers, we accept five or six different things is all. So it's uh, the extended test taking time. It can be different types of participation in class. Um, it can be the not counting off for for spelling and we sometimes, you know, have parents that they want their child to try it and they do and it, it doesn't always work. Um, and then we offer them the opportunity to move to the self-paced course, which, um, most of them are, seem to be pretty, you know, happy to do. But, um, Right. The, the online program is not available for everyone because the format itself does not, it doesn't lend itself to that kind of flexibility. It's not homeschooling. It is um, school at home. And it's a real distinct difference. And I have had parents over the years who've been very disappointed to hear that, that uh, their child that would need Um, a number of accommodations that we just don't offer, you know, it wouldn't be able to take a Colby online class. Um, So that's one of the things in life that I think comes under the heading of we don't always get what we want. Um, I'm quite tall. And when I was Younger, I wanted to play basketball in my high school team, but I was terrible. I just I wasn't an athletic person, <laughs> and so uh, I got cut. And my friends that were you know five two and five four they played varsity that year. So um, we don't we don't get to do everything that we want to do. Uh, I do think it's a real disservice to children when we tell them you can be anything you want to be. No. You can't. Uh, God gave us all gifts and talents, and it's our responsibility to develop those to the fullest. Uh, It's also our responsibility to recognize that we're not gifted in a particular way. And um, so so those are hard conversations when I have those conversations with parents. I'm also curious to hear um, from your perspective, Jordan, when you
1: see students coming to the college from high school who have who have needed uh, accommodations throughout their educational experience coming into college, what's do you, are you you're still made aware of those if they present them to you, correct? And how does that tend to go for them transitioning from high school to college with those types of needs for accommodation?
0: It's interesting because the ones that I that I have, I I'm made aware of it from. From the dean, he sends out emails and tells you who they are and what the accommodations are, that kind of thing. What the accommodations should be, in each case that that's happened, I would have never known. Um, even with my with the exams, um, I remember last year one of one of the girls who was supposed to have fifty percent longer, um, she was one of the first ones done. So, oh. I I'm you know I I haven't seen it at all at the college level but i find it interesting if they're they're carrying that with them going to what celeste was saying about learning your your limits even learning that that no you can't be um whatever you want to be and a lot of our you talked earlier in the interview celeste about everything happening indirectly so there's an element of of obedience and um, becoming who we're, we're who God intends for us to be. So that's why home education in general, in whatever format that works the best for a kid, I love that about Colby is, is the flexibility, the changing things, tailoring it to kids, because there are as many ways to educate somebody as there are persons. We're all, you know, so. But I, I thought that was really an interesting thing, Celeste. And you almost have it as a testimony, right? We're never known for the thing that we really want to be known for. We're, we're known for what God has, has done. You know? And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's like a testimony in, in your own, uh, you know, how you arrived to the position that you're at now, I guess.
3: Yeah, one thing I didn't mention is I talked about, you know, doing career counseling with the, with the seniors in particular, Um, so I thought, well, it might be a little odd for parents to hear that I went to 13 colleges for my, um, you know, undergrad degree. Um, it was, that's what (laughs) happened in my life. You know, I moved around a lot. I was in the military and, and, uh, so, but, um, but I I I think think, that would be reassuring in a way. I would think I'd be like, okay, that adds a
1: depth to your perspective that and more head to it actually, I would think,
2: okay, that would I'm I'm I was listening before and now I'm really listening. Yeah. Definitely. And I reread the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis just a month or two ago and I found in them I think my favorite screw tape letter, I looked it up, it's letter number eight and it's about the law of undulation, which I'm trying to work into things now because it's talking about peaks and valleys and, and, you know, if we have listeners who aren't acquainted with the screw tape letters, it's um, it's a fictional work where there's a master tempter devil writing letters to his nephew on basically how to pull a human away from grace and away from the church. And, Mm -hmm. and this letter number eight says, convince them that it's supposed to be a straight line (laughs) and instead of this law of undulation because Mm but he says that the that god permits this law of undulation of peaks Mm -hmm. and troughs because there's actually more opportunities for grace and for encounter with him and things like that when it's like that rather than being a straight line and and so I think I agree with you about this idea of just set your mind to it and you can do anything. Well, no, I, I think we can each point to our, our lives where there are things that maybe we made <laughs> made up our mind. I'm going to do this. And that door was not one that we were supposed to open. Um, right. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be diligent. We, diligence and perseverance and fortitude are all, all good things. In addition to this wealth
1: of experience and resources that you have, you have a great, I actually want to speak more about some of the resources that you you have at your fingertips, Celeste, the whole range of them with um, various subject areas, enhancing or um, supplementing thing, things for history I'm thinking of specifically. I know I've benefited directly from that or even other subject areas. There are also ways that we can, um, make accommodations by way of audiobooks or uh, textbooks on audio, like you've suggested. You're you, you are one of the good sports on the Facebook Lives that Colby's been doing over the summertime and, and continuing to, to do on Fridays. And and you spoke of a few websites that are good resources with regard to, um, um, I think, specifically dyslexia and some other related. Yes. So there's,
3: there's one website that I refer people to um, very frequently, and it's called understood.org. They have so much information on there. It's really incredible. It's for parents or educators. They talk about the difference between um, learning learning disorders and attention disorders, I think, is where they break that down. Um, and, and I haven't looked at it probably in the last month because it's been a little busy at work. So <laughs> haven't gotten to it, back into it, but it's one I think is a really good resource. And, um, there are a couple Facebook groups, um, for Catholic homeschoolers, um, Catholic homeschooling with dyslexia and other LDs. And, um, uh, the other one, I think, is Catholic homeschooling with special needs. That one, I, for some reason, I always want to substitute an incorrect word in there. But I find that by sending parents out other places to look at other things is the most useful because I, I don't know their situation. And so... I'm just taking a guess, you know, my, get my best guess based on talking to this person and what they're sharing with me. I figure if I can give them some place to go and look, then then they're going to either say, oh, yes, I, that's, that's what I was looking for or that's not it at all. And then they'll, you know, they'll look at something else. And so that's really my goal. Um, when it comes to Curriculum specifics, I do love to uh, come up with all kinds of creative ideas about, you could do this with your history, or you could do this with your reading. Um, I love history, and uh, I really like to make it come alive for students. So between children's literature, which I love, and history, I, I try to really offer a lot of suggestions about that um you know video suggestions and and uh historical fiction and all those kinds of things that go in well uh and make it more just more interesting it always makes me sad when someone says history's so boring um because i don't i don't understand that but then I'm not a math person so when people talk to me about math and my eyes glaze over you know I'm like "Uh, okay yeah math whatever but uh, so I guess it's the same thing we all have our particular subjects we really like and love but it is one thing that we can do even in high school for students they do have to do high school level content but that content can be delivered in a number of different sources. Um, one of the non-Colby uh, curriculums that we accept is published by, um, and now it's been bought by another another publishing company, but uh, AGS Globe publishes a curriculum that is written, it's high school level content, but it's written at a comprehension level for roughly fourth or fifth grade. When I was teaching at a school where every student had dyslexia I mean that was the purpose of this private Christian school was we served students with dyslexia then they all had an IEP for dyslexia and this was the curriculum we used um, AGS globe for history and science and so that's how I found out about it Um, you know Colby doesn't have course plans for that, of course, because it's not our curriculum. But it, it can be a, an excellent um, source for parents looking for something outside Colby. But yes, we're always willing to help parents think outside the box <laughs> and come up with something creative that works. Um, and I know I've gone to Jordan a number of times about different language op- options that parents will tell me about. Many of which I've never heard of. And then, you know, I run it by him. Does it look like it it meets our criteria for the grammar portion? Great. Then we're we're good to go. So there's very few subjects that we can't offer a parent something. And I have, since I already said that about not being a math person. Barron's the easy way, the letters easy, Barron's easy way Uh, Algebra, the easy way, is a fantasy story that teaches Algebra (laughs) 1. And so I found out about that when I first went to work at Colby. And I thought, this is incredible. I would have excelled at this kind of algebra. So even for something like that, there are resources that we can um, put people in, in touch with. And then they can look at it and see, is it a good fit or is it not? Uh, but we will certify that those things are high school level content therefore are acceptable to colby so that's how we do that
1: thank you as always for all of your sharing all of your wealth of resources with us do you jordan or hope have anything else you want to ask celeste about or
0: i just want to say thanks for coming on also celeste it's, it's um i'm sure people will find this very useful
3: thank
2: you so much Celeste. it's so it's fun for me as Alone, because I remember my mom, like you were saying before we started recording, that my mom gave you a call about uh, something history related. And I remember Everett Biersky, who who's on our last episode, wrote one of my letters of recommendation for college. And so it, I'm I'm so grateful and impressed to get to hear a lot of the behind the scenes. Like we all we always knew when we needed to call Colby, like there was a slight bit of of defeat of like, oh, we have to, we have to phone a friend. Um, But when we would call you, Celeste or Everett or Megan Langle, like every time you had such encouragement and wisdom and guidance and you never let us off easy, but you were always nurturing. And so we always appreciated that as a homeschooling family. And now to get to visit with you about some of what was informing all of what you would give as advice. It's so cool. So thank you.
3: I'm going to tell you what I tell parents all the time when they and because you said that about parents feel defeated, you know, when they call. And so, I always tell parents, you know, if you don't call, I don't have a job. So, if there's no work for advisors, then there's no advisors, you know. Um, But uh, I'm totally going to use that about phone a friend and your Lifelines hope because that is great. I love that. <laughs> oh, and I have to point out that even though that, e- e- so Megan went to work at Colby before I did a couple of years, and then Everett came to work a couple of years after me. But because they both stayed on and I had a hiatus, they're actually older than I am in Colby years. So I just want to make sure that's clear that I'm the young one of that group.
0: noted. Okay, <laughs> yep. I, I think we came in at the same, same time that fall of 2013, so.
3: Yep.
2: That explains your, your energy and your enthusiasm here. One of the Colby Youngins. That's right.
3: That's right. That's right.
1: <laughs> Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.